Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles or your phones, get them out. Um, before we read the Bible this morning, um, our, our, um, our sermon topic this morning is becoming spiritual people. And so we're going to emphasize that this week. But I want to talk for a second uh, briefly about the issue of abortion. This is related to the Walk for Life coming up on Saturday. And I just want to encourage us about a few things. You know, the Bible tells us in Micah 6.8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. In James, it tells us religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained for the world, from, from the world. Proverbs 31 31.8 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Um, so in, we've all heard about the Supreme Court decision that is going to potentially strike down Roe versus Wade, which is wonderful. Um, and everybody's response to that is to say, oh, man, now abortion is going to be illegal in the United States. And we wish that was true. Uh, that isn't true. We wish it was. Um, but what it does is it allows the states to decide how to manage abortion. So one of the things that has happened for the state of California that we need to be praying for is California thinks there's conservative states and other places that are going to tighten up restrictions and they're going to stop people from killing individuals. And they're, they're going to they're going to pass laws that say you can't murder unborn babies. And California is unhappy that there are some states that are going to do that. So they decided, let's expand abortion. And so in February, they submitted this bill. And uh, I just put it up here for you, a section of it. So this is February, and it says, notwithstanding any other law, a person shall not be subject to civil or criminal liability or penalty or otherwise deprived of their rights based on their actions or omissions with respect to their pregnancy or actual potential or alleged preg pregnancy outcome, talking about the life of a baby, including miscarriage, stillbirth, or abortion, or perinatal death. Now, what is perinatal death? Um, the California Penal Code describes that as the mean, uh, it, it, perinatal means the period from the establishment of a pregnancy, that's conception, to one month following delivery. So in February, <laughs> California's like, if there are some states that are going to tighten up laws on abortion, let's open it up even wider so that you can kill babies, not only in the womb, but when they're a month old. And here's the issue with that is, I, I don't know like if it shocks you that you could kill a baby that's a month old, uh, but it's not as shocking if you kill a baby that's still in the womb. It's the same thing. So if you're okay with abortion, you should be okay with killing a month old baby. Of course, we're not okay with either. And so there was this outcry. <laughs> I mean, have you heard that? And, and can you picture standing in front of people, I don't care how dead your conscience is, 
take a one-month-old baby and say, it's okay to kill this one-month-old baby. Um, try to sell that anywhere. And, you, and the truth is you can sell that some places, but not very many. And so because of that outcry, um, about a month ago, um, so that's the February version. I didn't update this, the, the little title there. It's actually April 6th. On April 6th, they changed the wording of the bill. And so now it says, otherwise deprived of their rights under this article. So now they've limited that. And then they changed the, the statement from uh, perinatal death to perinatal death due to pregnancy-related causes. And so, they've, so what they've done is they've now redefined that. So what this law says is if you try to kill your baby and your baby manages to survive but then dies later, that's okay. And so that's, that's the, po the positive adjustment that they've made, which, by the way, it is positive because before you could just kill any baby up to a month old. And so the issue is, as we think about abortion, as we think about the walk for life, and the reason I'm mentioning this is we have a walk for life on Saturday, is that we should donate money to pro-life causes. Um, we should donate money to pregnancy centers that take ladies that are struggling, that are feeling trapped, and, and encourage them, support them, meet their needs. So um, at the Walk for Life next week, first of all, you should go, and you should support it just by being there. Um, we, we have a, a country that wants to say, no, 70% of people want this. And that's not true, um, but that's the perception. And, and actually, let's just say 70% of people wanted to kill other people. We, it wouldn't matter. You know, God says that's wrong. And so, but it's important for us to show up to walk for moral support. And if you can't be there, that's okay. <laughs> Go to their website and give them some money that they will use to encourage and help people. So here's, as we think about these things, I don't often um, talk about political things, and this actually is not political, but we are Christians. We are called to be salt and light. We're supposed to be an influence in our culture. And because we're Christians, we don't look for hope in political things. That's why I don't preach about politics. I have lots of political opinions. But here's, here's the reality. If we could never have another abortion in the United States, if no person ever had another abortion and that's where it ended, one of the things I would say is, I mean, that would be right and good, but ultimately what would the value be? That's like rearranging chairs on the Titanic. If we could bring a kid into this world and say we're going to let you have life, which would be a wonderful thing, but when you die, you will spend forever separated from God. Or to say to a mom, um, I want to help you not commit this terrible tragedy of killing your, un your own unborn baby. Um, but it, so if we could stop that from happening, and yet at the end of this person's life, they spend forever separated from God, what's the purpose in that? Ultimately, I mean, it is, there is still value, but God didn't put us here on earth to try to fix everything wrong in the country, to try to fix everything in politics. He put us here to share the gospel, to help people understand who Jesus is, to help people who have had abortions 
be forgiven, receive God's cleansing and his love and his mercy. Um, God put us here for eternal life, not just life on this earth. So some people are confused, and they think that because we care about eternity, that we're disconnected from the things that we have an opportunity to do. And that's not true. God wants us to vote. God wants us to donate money. God wants us to speak. But we have a bigger picture over everything that we do. So all of that <laughs> was just to say, hey, I think it'd be a good idea if you come to the Walk for Life next week. Uh, me and Michelle and Craig and Shirley are going to be there. I mean, think about how fun that would be to walk around with us, although there's a more important reason to go. And, you know, this actually, this whole thing fits in exactly with what we're talking about this morning, which is um, being a spiritual person, becoming a spiritual person. That's our topic for this morning. If you have your Bibles let's and your phones, click them over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. You know, the Bible tells us this, that by all this, that by all this in John 13, 35, it says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Have you ever thought about um, God's calling in our life to love people? And that is so... There's so much confusion in that. People will take their concept of love, and then they'll say, we should love people. We should not tell them the truth. Um, they'll, they, they move, love is, moves away from righteousness and holiness and sharing the gospel. And because of that, some people go, well, that's wrong, that we wouldn't preach the truth. It might offend people. That's not loving. Uh, we wouldn't just open our arms and welcome every idea or concept that a person has. That's not loving. I mean, we know that's not true. Um, and so often people devalue and they de-emphasize the significance of love between brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're really going to emphasize this in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the chapter on love where it just goes through and it, it mentions these amazing things. And it says, if, but if you don't have love, it's meaningless. We forget about Ephesians 4 that says that we are to speak the truth in love. And one of the ways that you know if you are a spiritual person, one of the things that we are working toward is being spiritual people. And one of the ways that that reflects itself is in love and unity. And so Paul in this section is going to actually talk about love and unity, the kind of things that cause divisions. And <laughs> you want to know what's amazing? You know how he addresses it? He addresses it by saying, here's the theology of salvation and ministry. It's like he tells them, these are the things that are true. This is what will help you actually live out the unity that God intends between brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's what he's going to do. So um, we're going to see three things that are important. If you want to become a spiritual person, there are three things that are really important. The first one is that you need to be able to identify and avoid the flesh. You need to be able to identify and avoid the flesh. This is one of the things I think is hilarious. 
is I, I've had people, this is not like a one time that this happens regularly, where somebody will come to me and they'll say, I know this really spiritual, ma spiritually mature person who supports abortion. And <laughs> you know what I tell them? That doesn't exist. There is no spiritual person that supports abortion. Those things are in conflict. They are impossible to reside together. Now, I'm not saying that there's no Christian who supports abortion. There are very possibly um, not very many. There would be a tiny number of people, but it's very possible that a person could be a Christian. Their thinking could be so polluted. They could be so indoctrinated. Their minds could be so full of worldly lies that they haven't had a chance to clean up yet and that they could be a Christian and support abortion, but it is impossible for a person who reads the Bible, who thinks about life the way God tells people to think about life, to support abortion. And you know what? We kind of like that, right? Yeah, those, those immature bad people who support abortion or those immature bad people that support um, polluted sexuality. Um, sometimes we like doing that, but Paul's, Paul's going to say something else. He's going to say, you're not a spiritually mature person, and you're not a spiritual person if you can't get along with each other. See, that hits a little more at home. So let's look at this, and I'm going to remind us of the passage that Craig preached on because Paul mentions it in chapter 1, and then he comes back to it in chapter 3. So this is what it says. Craig preached on this, did a great job. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, you, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. I wanted to say something about that. It's interesting. There's a person, there's like a group of people in the church who go to the Apostle Paul and they say, hey, everybody at the church is fighting. You know, it's interesting how often we keep the wrong kind of secrets and we, we say, oh, I don't want to gossip. Oh, I don't want to say anything inappropriate to someone else about someone else. And that whole idea of gossip is actually really important. But here we see that Chloe is at a church, her people, they're at the church, they notice these divisions, and they go to the Apostle Paul, and they say, Paul, there's, they got problems in this church. Um, we can sometimes have, it's, it's interesting, we gossip about things we shouldn't say, be saying, and we keep secrets about things we need to be bringing into the light. Um, there's siblings, like this, this is true in families, where you'll have a parent, you'll have some kids, and one of the, one of the siblings is living a wicked, sinful life. They're, they have a secret life. They're hiding it from their parents. They're doing all these sinful things, and the siblings have a misguided sense of loyalty. And they think, yeah, my brother, my sister, they're living this sinful life. They're doing these destructive things, but I'm not going to tell mom and dad because I want to be loyal. I want to keep their confidence. Now, what a mistake. If you love your siblings, you'll go get them help. Or people in churches that'll have conversations 
and they'll get together and there'll be a group of people and somebody will be saying, I hate this person over here. They did this thing. I am so mad at them. And those kind of conflicts are encouraged. They're supported. Uh, people hear it and then they keep the confidence. Instead of saying, going to the person first, saying, you have an issue. You're struggling with another brother or sister in Christ. You should go talk to them. And then going to that other person and saying, this person has a problem with you. You should approach them. And then going to the spiritual leaders in a church and say, there's a problem here. And there needs to be help resolving it. You need to get involved. There's something going wrong. And, and instead, often, those kind of conflicts, it's like, we'll gossip and slander about people. But we don't bring into the light the very things people know, need to know to be involved in help. And so what does Chloe do? Well, here's an example of healthy love for one another. The people show up and they say to the Apostle Paul, hey, there's stuff going on in the Corinthian church. They tell someone who can do something about it, and then he does. He responds. He writes this letter. And he says in verse 12 of chapter 1, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. And then he just says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Christ, Crispus and Gaius so that no one may be able to say that you were baptized in my name. I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. So Paul addresses their lack of unity and the fact that they're following people. And then here in chapter 3, he's going to come back and he's going to readdress it. And he's going to actually explain to them what's going wrong. And then in the second half of this passage, he's going to say, if you think this way, it will help you avoid the division. So that's what's going to happen. Let's look at the first one. We need to identify and avoid the flesh. 1 Corinthians 3.1 says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not ready. You are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? So here's the interesting thing. These are prideful people. They're priding themselves in what they believe is spiritual maturity. That's actually what's causing these conflicts. And you know how the whole of chapter 1, Paul is just saying, hey, it is God that saves you. It is not earthly wisdom. It's God's foolishness that saves somebody. It is the power of God's word, the gospel, that goes into somebody's heart and transforms their life. At the end of chapter 1, Paul says, it is by his doing that you are in Christ. And then he, and he, he says, you know, it's like he just says, God didn't choose you because you were wise. So Satan's using pride to puff them up and cause conflicts. And in the whole of chapter 1, Paul just says, you don't even actually understand salvation. And God didn't save you because you're so great. It's a miracle that God saved you. And then he goes on to say, 
that every saved person has the Holy Spirit in their life, and that's why they're able to understand salvation. That's why they're saved is because God regenerates their heart, and God gets all the credit. And then this is a, a great passage because he looks at them, and it's very helpful. He says you're fleshly and you're behaving like humans. You know what that means? He says you're not mature. You're actually acting like a non-Christian. That, that's what he's, when he says that you're fleshly, in fact, there's a small phrase in this. And if Paul didn't put it there, we would actually think he was talking, he was telling them they weren't believers. In fact, some people go through this passage and they say there's two groups of people in the Corinthian church. Those who are genuinely saved and those who are not saved. And then they say, he calls them fleshly, he's talking to the unsaved people in their midst. Hey, we know that <laughs> there's unsaved people in the Corinthian church. Um, he says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, test yourself to see if you're, you're in the faith because you are in the faith unless you fail the test. So he's telling them, think about whether or not you really know the Lord. But in this passage, he's actually talking to believers. When, when, when I read that, can you grab a phrase that tells you the fleshly people in this passage are actually Christians? Where's that verse where it says that? I guess you don't have to yell it out, but it's in verse 1. Do you know when he says, uh, as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ? See, these people that he's talking to, they are in Christ, but they're infants. That's why I say, is it possible <laughs> for a Christian to support abortion? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because sometimes Christians act like non-Christians. Is it possible for a person to come to church and have conflicts with other people and be divisive? Yes, because it's possible for a Christian sometimes to act like a non-Christian. Is it possible for two people to get married and have lots of conflict and strife and to have no joy in their marriage and no support in their marriage and, and not have the marriage that the blessed marriage that God intends people to have? Is that possible? Well, yes, because sometimes Christians act like non-Christians. But if there's conflict, if there's a lack of love, if, a, if you're a person who disregards what God says about life, there's two options. You're not a Christian. <laughs> that is a real option. Or the other one is, you're acting like a non-Christian. And so I would just, let me just throw it out there and say, if any of these things describe you, stop doing that. God put the Holy Spirit in your life to make it possible for you to not live out sinfulness. Um, this, I hope, is an encouragement to you. We're going to look at the flesh in a second. But the flesh is unsaved people, and the flesh is actually what gets left over. So when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, transforms our heart, gives us a desire to do the right things. But we still have this sinful flesh. This passage right here is one of the reasons we know that. Um, Paul talks about it in his own life. Romans chapter 5, he says, it doesn't matter how much you sin, there's more grace of God's. God has so much grace. He can cover your sin no matter how much you sin. 
And then in Romans chapter 6, he answers the logical question, well, if, it, if God's grace is so massive, it covers all of my sin, then why not just sin? And Paul says this in Romans 6, how can you who have died to sin still live in it? It's not possible. God's given you a new heart. He's transformed you. He makes you want to do the right thing because you love him. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. That's what happens to Christians. But then in, it's, it's encouraging because in chapter 7, verse 14 to the end, he says, Paul says, and I have this huge desire to please God, but I find myself doing things I hate. I won't have you raise your hand, but do you ever as a believer find yourself doing things you hate? Do you ever sin in ways that you just think, man, I wish I could quit sinning. I, I just want to stop sinning. I don't want to be this way. I remember as a teenager, I was a new Christian, and I had such fights with my parents. And I remember saying, I am a Christian. I am going to have a good attitude toward my parents. No matter what happens, be respectful. No matter what happens, be respectful. No matter what happens, be respectful. I pull into my driveway, walk into my house, and it probably wasn't five minutes before I was yelling at my parents. And I just remember just this huge struggle, and I would leave the house and think, man, what is wrong with me? And sometimes we can feel that way. Do you ever feel that way? Here's the encouragement. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which we'll get there later, it says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, but God is faithful who will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able, but with every temptation will provide a way out. I just want you to know that if you ever feel like sin is too powerful to get out of your life, that is actually not true. And it's important that you know that. And so Paul is just talking to them, and he's saying in this passage, don't act like a non-Christian. Don't do that. And in verse 2, he says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. Even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. So what is the milk and the solid food? Huge debate about what could that be. But let me just tell you, understanding salvation, that God is sovereign in salvation, that God chose you not because of your value, that God sovereignly worked in your heart and opened up your spiritual eyes so that you would see him, that is not solid food. That's like the milk. That's like the basics of do you realize that you were a sinner headed down the road to destruction and God miraculously reached into your life and he saved you and he gets all the credit. It, it is not really mature stuff for a person to say God's word is powerful and transforming. If I am struggling in my marriage, I need to grab the Bible, not the latest self-help book. If I read the Bible and it says do A, and all these Ph.D. people tell me to do B, they are wrong. I should do what the Bible says. That's not meat. That is milk, the basics of God made the world, and God knows what's best. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, that's all the stuff Paul's talking about, that God's wise, the world is foolish. And then he gives them some examples. How do you know if you're fleshly? 
How do you know if you're a spiritual or fleshly person? And it's interesting what he puts on this list. He doesn't say, hey, give people a theology test to see if they're spiritual. (laughs) That's not what he says. Um, He's going to identify some actions. And he says these two things. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, jealousy and strife. You know, those are marks of the flesh. That's not a mark of spiritual maturity. That is a mark of spiritual immaturity. One of the things I think is interesting, some of these people, oh, this really mature person supports abortion. Look at that spiritually mature person's life. Are they gentle and peaceable? Um, do they have, are they spirit-filled? Do they demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit? The, the Holy Spirit in, in chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says your heart draw, is drawn to the truth through the Holy Spirit. These spiritually mature people, do they gravitate towards spiritual truth or do they deny the things that Scripture says? Does their behavior reflect that they have the Holy Spirit in their life? Or does their behavior reflect that they're demonically influenced. One of the things I think is interesting is by the doctrine and by the behavior in those people's lives who, that I happen to know of that support abortion, uh, when I think about that, I look at all the qualities in their life, demonically influenced people. Um, how do you know if you're demonically influenced? It's kind of interesting. Um, you could ask people, how do you know if you have the Holy Spirit? Some people will say, you speak in tongues. We're going to get to this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 through 14. That is definitely not true. That is not the sign that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, There's another sign that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and I think we should read about that. But before we do that here, let's look at James 3, 13. Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom, in humility and gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, that's pride, and jealousy will come back to because that's in our passage. If you have uh, jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't don't boast and be false to the truth. That is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Um, You ever felt jealous towards somebody? So jealousy and envy are very similar. Envy is when you look at what somebody else has and you go, it's theirs, but I'm mad and I want it for myself. Jealousy is when you feel like you have an attitude of entitlement towards something. You feel like this is mine. It should be mine, and somebody's taking it away from me. So jealousy and envy are the same, except jealousy has like um, an attitude of entitlement along with it. And so jealousy could be like what was happening with the disciples, where two of them run up to Jesus, and they say, hey, we want to sit on your right and left. And the rest of the disciples are ticked because they're like, you shouldn't get to sit on his right and left. I should get to sit on his right and left. So they feel mad, like that should be mine, not yours. But that's jealousy. It's when uh, you have a friend, and it looks like they have friendships with other people, and you kind of feel like, I own them. They don't have a right to be friends with someone else. They hang out with me on Friday nights. They don't hang out with other people. And have you ever seen those kind of dynamics? Have you ever felt that in relationships where you feel like you own something, 
and then you're mad because you feel like you're losing it. So that's jealousy. Um, you know, jealousy is, um, it's described as um, zeal. So one, th- those are the two different ways that word is translated. And uh, so jealousy is so incredibly powerful. In fact, Proverbs 27.4 says, Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? I just want to tell you something. If uh, you feel jealousy in your life, stop. Don't do anything you're thinking about doing. Say to yourself, I right now am being demonically influenced. That is satanic when you feel jealousy. That is a satanic prompting. Look what it says here. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So spiritually immature people have conflict. They don't get along with other people. They're mad at other people. They're angry at other people. And it's interesting to me that sometimes we'll gather people together and every time a new person adds to the group, they start to get mad about stuff that they weren't mad about before. Kind of gather people together and stir up dissension, stir up anger in each other. That's a satanic group. That that is where Satan is working. If you hang out with a group of people and when you leave that group, you're more mad at other people than when you got there, quit going there. That's bad. Don't do that. That's demonic. How do you know if something's spiritual? Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, here's a spiritual group. Here are spiritual friends. You show up to a group of people and you're really mad at someone. And after the conversation, you're not mad at them anymore. A person talks to you and says, yeah, I could see how that would really hurt. Have you talked to the person? Have you thought about it in this way? This is how God says you're supposed to forgive. This is what God says your attitude is supposed to be like. See, when you're around spiritually mature people, you leave better than you showed up. You don't leave worse. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. I've got to stop going ahead in 1 Corinthians. But it says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you hang out with people and they encourage sinfulness in your life, get away from them. And don't be a person that encourages disunity. Because Paul says to this group of people, if you do that, you're actually living like a non-Christian. You know what's funny? Is often the people that inspire and encourage that see themselves as spiritual giants. But that's no surprise because that's selfish ambition. So this is another passage that I just think is really powerful. And uh, this is Galatians 5. We're going to go through this. And as soon as we're done with this, uh, we'll come to a conclusion. And I'm going to do the second half (laughs) next Sunday. (laughs) Breathe a sigh of relief. He's only on point one. (laughs) Galatians chapter 5. You know what, I will just say this. This is so important for us to think about and to dwell on because this impacts life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 15 
says this, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So this didn't just happen in the Corinthian church. Satan didn't say, I want to attack the Corinthian church, but we're not worried about the Galatian church. Uh, Satan and his demons are attacking everything everywhere. And one of the ways that you know things are going well is that Satan is going to try to attack. Every once in a while, like, I'll look at this peaceful, loving church, and I'll see people that are starting to be encouraged and they're starting to grow, and then I'll see these opportunities for them to get sucked into this destructive, harmful stuff. And I'm like, okay, Satan's attacking us. He doesn't want things to go well. He wants us mad at each other so that we'll be distracted from what God called us to do. Well, he, Satan, the cool thing is, Satan always does the same stuff. If you read the Bible and if you're around mature people who can encourage you, they'll point it out. Hey, that was satanic. You'll get to the point where you'll have a thought, you'll have a feeling, you'll go, okay, wait, no. That was a satanic thought or feeling. Let's read some satanic thoughts. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For the, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Like, think about this. The Holy Spirit in your life is there and is restraining you from sin. How can you tell the difference between a Christian who's living like a non-Christian and somebody who's actually a non-Christian? How can you tell the difference? Well, we talked about this in chapter 2, right? The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness to him. So when a person reads the Bible and says, well, I don't believe that, and I don't believe that, and I don't believe that, that's a mark of an unsaved person. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. So when Jesus talks, the true sheep hear. That's why David, man, if you look at him, he murdered, committed adultery, but Nathan showed up and said some Jesus words to him. And he said, you're right, and I repent, and he changed. That's the difference between a non-Christian and a Christian that is sometimes looks like a non-Christian. You know this battle that your flesh wants you to do the wrong thing, but the spirit in you is making you want to do the right thing? That is missing from a non-Christian's life. There's not an internal battle. There's not a pulling toward the truth. You go off to a group of people who are encouraging hate toward others, and then somebody afterwards talks to you and just says, hey, that's, that's not a good, good group. That doesn't seem like the right place for a Christian to be. That doesn't seem like a positive spiritual influence in your life. And a Christian says, man, you're right. I've been feeling guilty about that. Thank you for encouraging me in that way. A non-Christian says, shut up, don't tell me what to do, and they run back and they just, cause, because there's no internal struggle. Um, people who struggle with all kinds of things. Actually, I'm going to read a list of satanic things. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, that's satanic. Um, impurity, sensuality, those are all satanic things. 
Now, that's a deed of the flesh. Idolatry, sorcery. Um, that word for sorcery, you've all heard. We get, the, we get the word pharmacy from it. It has to do with taking drugs, impairing your, 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 per, your mental perception. A lot of people would worship Satan as they were doing that. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's not everything that's satanic, but all of those things are satanic. So when you feel it, if you're a believer, that is a demonic influence in your life. I'm not saying you're demon-possessed. Christians can't be demon-possessed. But that is Satan pushing you toward what he wants. As I warned you, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this is where we say the flesh dominating your life means you're not a Christian. If you're looking at your life and you find yourself on this list, yeah, those things describe me. And then at the end of that list, it says these people do not inherit eternal life. When you find yourself on a list, and there are lists of things in Scripture where it says if this is true of your life, you're not a Christian. If you find yourself on that list, it, you, that should get your attention. And so there's this contrast, and, and what I think is, I think, crazy, and, and I, I don't really understand it, except that people haven't read the Bible, is people will look at people who are described by these things. They are characterized by these things. They embrace these things over a long period of time. And then people will go, no, no, I think they're Christians. Like, I don't get that. That person is in need of prayer. They are in need of rescue. We should not look at that and go, oh, yeah, they're a believer. No, we should be praying, God, open their heart, save that person. Not from the perspective of being judgmental, but for the, per, from the perspective of effective ministry toward that person. You know, it's interesting, the sexual sins, there's five of them mentioned. Idolatry slash drug use, three of them are mentioned. Hey, those are our favorite ones, right? Because <laughs> we... Those are someone else. But did you know that the relational things mentioned in this verse, there's eight of them, the conflict and the division? And then here's, there's, you want to know, you want to know what the evidence is you have the Holy Spirit in your life? Let me read it. It's in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. <laughs> Man, why does God put that first? And in 1 Corinthians, he talks about love. And he says that people are going to know if you're Christians by your love. And, and why would we ever de-emphasize the significance of being thoughtful and caring and loving toward people? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, oh, that hurts, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. That's the, when you got the Holy Spirit in you and you feel like cussing somebody out, but then the Holy Spirit in you stops you from doing that. You don't feel, you don't do what you feel like doing. Like that's, the, that's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. How do you know if somebody's full of the Spirit? It's interesting. They're, they're picking spiritual leaders in Acts, and they say, go find people full of the Spirit. 
You want to know what they weren't talking about? They were not saying, go find someone who spoke in tongues. Go find somebody who did a prophecy. Go find somebody who did this or this. They were saying, go find somebody that when you look at their life, this is what you see. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it goes on in verse 24, and it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, if the Holy Spirit made you alive, then live your life out under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. And... So for us, and then I think this is interesting, Galatians 6.1, if anyone's caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, that's somebody who's described by this, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself lest you be tempted, because we all struggle with these things, right? But those are the people you want going after other people, people controlled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, as parents, when we're trying to help our kids, Are we supposed to go in the room and throw their stuff all over the room and scream at them and say, you idiot, you want a messy room? I'll show you a messy room. (laughs) Like, is that good, godly parenting? Or do we discipline, but we do it in love and we do it under the power of the Holy Spirit with all these things that God said? Just ask my kids. I'm perfect in this. (laughs) I always do everything right. You know that's a joke. All right. All right, you're not supposed to lie in church. That was a joke, not a lie. I guess you're not really supposed to lie anywhere, but especially not in church. So this, I want to just wrap things up right here, and I just want to say, if you see the struggle of flesh in your life, hey, you're like the Apostle Paul. He struggled. You're like all the rest of us. Don't be discouraged by that. But also, don't ignore it. Don't, don't act like it's not important. And if your life is dominated by these things, man, that is something urgent that you should give attention to. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. I just thank you for what you do in our life through the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that we are not slaves to sin. These things sometimes when we allow them, when we have created these sinful habits, God, they can feel very powerful and actually sin can feel irresistible and yet Lord we know it's not true we know that we can we can create new habits and that you've given us the Holy Spirit to give us self-discipline and to draw us to what is true and what is right God I pray that we would be people who read your word that we pray we ask for your help both for ourselves and for others and that we would be people that don't neglect gathering with other believers who encourage us to do the right thing in your name. Amen.